Welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans Who Love America, episode 64. Okay, more fallout of the Trump FBI raid. Keeping you all up to date by the play-by-play as it under unfolds, rather. <clears throat> as it unfolds. So... Business Insider by Cheryl Tay. The FBI was tipped off by an informer close to Trump who guided them to where documents were kept, according to reports. An informant tipped off the authorities about possible documents Mar-a-Lago, per reports. Sources told Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal an informant told investigators where the documents were. The informant also pinpointed where the documents were located on Trump's property. An informant tipped off the authorities about possible documents in Mar-a-Lago and where they could find them per reports from Newsweek, Wall Street Journal. On Monday, the FBI executed a search warrant for former President Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. And while FBI and the Department of Justice have stayed mum on the reason for the raid, numerous media outlets and former President son Eric Trump in a Fox News interview have suggested it was because of material that Trump took from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, which could be in violation of the Presidential Records Act. In February, the National Archives took 15 boxes of documents from Mar-a-Lago and also asked the Department of Justice to probe whether Trump broke the law in the handling of these documents. Newsweek spoke to two anonymous senior government officials with knowledge of the FBI's raid of Mar-a-Lago. These officials told Newsweek that an individual revealed to law enforcement what documents Trump still had in his possession and where they were. According to Newsweek sources, the raid had been timed for when Trump was away to avoid giving the former president photo op and to keep the process under wraps for as long as possible. One of the senior Justice Department officials, Newsweek spoke to, who said this was a spectacular backfire because of the backlash the raid got. The report from the Newsweek from Newsweek was corroborated by the reporting of the journal. The journal spoke to anyone, to anonymous sources, familiar with the matter, who said that an individual who knew where the papers that were stored had been in touch with investigators. According to the journal, the individual told investigators there were more classified docs at Mar-a-Lago, and there were not among the 15 boxes that the National Archives retrieved from Trump's evidence back in February. The DOJ did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The idea that investigators could have been tipped off sent Trump world into a tailspin. Representative Major Taylor Green, for one, raged during a live stream on Wednesday about an FBI informant at Mar-a-Lago. Axios report Trump allies believe someone have flipped and give information on Trump to FBI. Rolling Stone also reported... Citing anonymous sources close to Trump that the former president and his advisors are desperately trying to root out this information among Trump's paranoia that people close to him might be wearing wires. Okay. Just giving y'all the info of the play-by-play. Raw story by Sarah Burris. <clears throat> Peter Stitz. Okay, Stitzrock, S-T-Z-R-O-K, explains why DOJ didn't subpoena Trump over classified documents. Peter Sitzrock, one of Donald Trump's favorite foes to attack while in office on Wednesday, detailed the reasons that federal investigators used a warrant rather than a subpoena to reportedly obtain classified documents from Mar-a-Lago. 
I used both consent and research warrants dozens of times over the course of my career to recover classified government information, but never a subpoena, said Sturtok. Let's talk subpoenas and why they're not used to recover classified material from those not authorized to have it. A subpoena would have allowed a witness to bring the documents requested. Eric Trump revealed in a Fox News interview that his father has been negotiating with the government for months about the documents that they wanted back from the former president. Sitzrock explained that there was likely national defense information, not a book or a news article that included classified information, but documents that would be beneficial if garnered from another country. Someone not authorized to possess it, in his thread, refers to former President Trump, he explained. Allies of the former president have claimed that the president can declassify anything he wants. The problem is that Trump no longer is president, and when he took the documents home, he wasn't the president then either. Presidents to not get security clearance, Saratuk explained, they gain access to classified info by virtue of their election, and they're the USG's ultimate classification declassification authority that goes away from the moment their successor is sworn in by tradition incumbent presidents extend access to classified info as needed to their successors notably biden did not citing trump's erratic behavior at least three reasons make a subpoena inappropriate to cover to recover classified docs he continued first classified docs are the property of usg u.s government in the hands of an unauthorized person they are contraband Imagine using a subpoena to demand a return of $10,000 stolen by a bank robber. In the words of Asha Rangapa, a subpoena implies the recipient is lawful custody or bailer of the property. That's why the government has to clear a hurdle and provide a reason to get it. If you are an unauthorized possessor, you are simply a thief holding stolen property. He went on to explain that disclosing classified information would be reasonably expected to damage national security. A subpoena does not limit the receiving party's use, additional people, attorneys, clerks, mailrooms to fulfill the production. Tweet. Sir talk. Third, the government may need to prove the expected damage. A defense attorney might argue, well, if these documents are so sensitive, why did you allow my client and all these other unauthorized people to sort through them? They're obviously not really that potentially damaging, he asked. Additionally, a similar argument might be applied to the speed of government's action. You say these documents are so so terribly sensitive, then why did you wait a year to come and get them when you believe they were in in an unauthorized place? So that was the timing. So the question being, why now? I mean, the election in 2024 is a bit away, you know, it's far. So it can't be an election thing, even though they're trying to make it seem as if it is. Um, That's pretty far down the line. So if there was information for, say, about China, about Russia, about one of our enemies, you know, I don't know unless the tip-off was do it now for whatever unknown reason that we may not get to know eventually. Key details undermines arguments, the Trump argument, declassified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. Bob Brigham. 
One day after the agents from Federal Bureau of the FBI executed a search warrant at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, three leading legal experts debunked the legal defense that Trump had declassified documents found, writing for Justice writing for just security former fbi special agent asha rakabanga obama white house ethics czar norman l eisen and national security attorney bradley p moss examined five violations of federal law trump may have committed in this case the three attorneys first examined 18 usc 1924 and authorized removal and retention of classified documents and material since reports indicate indicates that the documents and the agents were searching for included classified ones. The statute appears at first to be glanced an obvious possible violation. Section 1924 makes it a crime to knowingly remove classified documents with the intent to retain them in an unauthorized location, they wrote. They note former President Trump staffer Cash Patel had claimed many of the records were declassified by Trump. Eisenhower helped draft White House Executive Order 13526, which restructured the classification system, examined that defense with his colleagues. Strictly speaking, even if Trump ordered the declassification of the records, verbally or in writing, what is likely to matter for purposes of handling and storing the records after he left the White House was if it the mandatory follow-on actions occurred. Classified documents have classification markings in the header and footer of each page, indicating the level of classification for the document as a whole, they noted. If Trump did in fact order the declassification, he still needed to make sure his staff took necessary next steps to modify classification markings on the documents before he could actually handle and store the records as a private citizen, as if they were unclassified. Under security classification rules, a classification marking on a document has to be treated as valid and binding unless a subsequent marking replaces it. Appropriate government staffers would need to cross out the classification markings in the header and footer and stamp declassified on the record noting that it was declassified by whom and under what authority. Since that does not appear to have been done with the classified documents reportedly identified to date, the documents remained classified and had to be treated as classified for handling and storage. The three also examined 18 U.S.C. 2071, concealment, removal, or mutilation generally, which has received a great deal of attention as it could potentially bar Trump from running for office in 2024. This is more attractive statute for a prosecutor to apply Trump than Section 1924, mainly because it does not require that the documents be classified. It applies to all government records, they wrote. It also seems to fit the fact that we know so far, namely FBI reportedly searched locations with the Mar-a-Lago, other than the room originally shown to DOJ, during their June visit, suggesting they had received information to the interim that additional documents were being stored or concealed elsewhere. For example, FBI agents allegedly searched Trump's personal safe and his closet. Evidence that Trump had failed to reveal the full scope or all the locations where government records were being stored to NARA and then DOJ would also meet heightened intent standard required by Section 2071, which is that the defendant act willfully. They also noted that other three that three other potential violations of Title 18 of U.S. Code, which covers federal criminal law, a partially overlapping offense to Section 2071 can be found in 18 U.S.C. 641, which provides criminal penalties against anyone who steals, purloins, or knowingly converts to use his to to the use or use of another government property. They wrote Section 1361 applies to anyone who willfully injures or commits any depredation depredation against the property of the U.S. 
or any department agency thereof. The severity of penalty depends on the extent of damage done to governmental property in question. In this case, official documents that Trump is alleged to have mishandled, including during his White House tenure. The noted Section 1361 could potentially apply to documents Trump reportedly flushed down the toilet. The three also noted Section 783, gathering or transmitting defense information, may apply. In a conventional White House, not consumed with efforts to overthrow an election, the White House counsels of office and relevant personnel would have sorted through the president's records weeks before inauguration day and ensured that any classified records were properly secured. Reporting, in, in, reporting indicates that Trump's White House was focused on other matters until the final days of Trump's presidency and the resulting failure to separate out classified records may have been the result, the three reported. The second prong, failing to prompt to return national defense information upon learning it, was illegally removed from a secure location with a particular relevance in the light of the media reporting that Trump continued to have classified records at Mar-a-Lago even after his staff returned records in February. The fact that FBI had gone so far as to request that Trump staffers at Mar-a-Lago secure the room when the remaining classified records were still stored, which aids then did with the padlock and the FBI search warrant authorized at opening of sales and other locations both give reasons to believe the government suspected there were more classified records stored at Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Um... DOJ ordered to respond. After request to unseal FBI's Trump's raid warrant, Washington Examiner Jerry Dunleavy yesterday. The Justice Department must respond to motions to unseal the warrant behind the FBI's raid of the Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, the magistrate judge who approved the unprecedented search order Thursday. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt, who is believed to have signed the still-sealed FBI warrant approving the Bureau's jump raid, said the Justice Department must now file a response to the motion to unseal. Following an efforts to Albany-based news outlet, the Times Union and conservative advocacy group Judicial Watch requesting that DOJ make the warrant public. Reinhardt said the DOJ's response may be filed ex parte and under seal as necessary to avoid disclosing matters already under seal, meaning that the full response may be secret, but that the government shall file a redacted response in the public record, too. This is a developing story and will be updated. Yeah. Um, And what does Trump think of it? Trump will release the warrant. Atlantic, David French. Rarely in the annals of public controversy has so much certainty been expressed in the face of such great ignorance. With very few exceptions, the Republican Party coalesced around Donald Trump to express search of fierce conviction. Department of Justice decision to serve a search warrant on Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence was a grotesque abuse of power. There's notable problem with this conclusion. The American public still hasn't seen the search warrant. Trump's lawyers have it, and they've described it in vague terms, but they have not released it either. One of the attorneys, Christina Bob, appeared on Real America's Voice, obscure 
right wing media network and said the warrant sought classified documents, evidence of a crime, as far as classified documents go, and presidential records. This disclosure, which corroborates disclosures by anonymous sources in the immediate aftermath of the search, tells us little, real, little of real value. The term classified documents encompasses a wide range of material, from documents that are relatively benign to documents that, if released into the wrong hands, could inflict real damage to the national security of the U.S. Certain, okay, during my military career, I handed thousands of classified documents more than once. I read an email, reviewed a document, and wondered why it was stamped secret. Overclassification is a real problem in the military, and we keep confidential many documents in the public could see without consequences. At the same time, I'd review other documents and immediately understand the reason for caution. Their disclosure could compromise military operations and cost lives, and I didn't have anything, I didn't have any access, I didn't have access to anything like that sensitive documents that the president. In short, Americans shouldn't really know what to think about the search. We can hope that the momentous decision to search the former president's residence met appropriate legal standards and merited the DOJ's historic intervention. We can fear that the warrant represents either a politicized attack or an unnecessary law enforcement escalation of a politically perilous investigation. But we simply can't know if the DOJ's actions were appropriate until we see their legal and evidentiary support copy of the warrant won't resolve the dispute, but it can help the public understand what's at stake. The DOG doesn't release warrant applications, and its present application is reportedly under seal, but it does release the warrant itself to the owner of the property, its agent search, and that warrant will typically detail both the items sought and the federal criminal statutes relevant to the search. Trump isn't just the former president, he's the current front-runner of the 2024 GOP nomination. He's the once and potentially future president of the U.S., and he holds in his hands a document that's extraordinarily relevant to his fitness for office. A responsible politician would release that information to the public. Yet a source close to Trump told NBC's Vaughn Hilliard, no, we're not releasing a copy of the warrant. The reason is obvious. Holding on to the warrant might be bad for the country, leaving us largely in the dark, fighting furiously over hypotheticals, but for now it's very good for Trump. To understand why, it's important to understand how Trumpism thrives. Trumpism is a cultural and political movement, depends on a great deal on both sides' extraordinarily loyalty of his supporters and overreaction of his opponents. Each phenomenon feeds the other. The loyalty was apparently from the moment Trump confirmed the search. Without knowing anything about the reason for the search, the right exploded with rage. Trump didn't even have to re... You know what I'm thinking? I'm going to just pause right here. I wouldn't put it past Donald Trump to have tipped off the FBI himself. I am just getting this now. (laughs) Okay, this is not proven... But I would not put it past Donald J. Trump to have called the FBI under some sort of fake voice and tipped off his own raid on his own property just to create this. I'm going to go with that theory. (laughs) I mean, I'll read all the reports and I'll read all the news, but Donald would do this. He would do something like this. He would call the FBI in some like wild voice machine and tip off them to conduct a raid on his own house. I think he did that. I'm sorry. I'm just, that's my, I'm going to go with that for right now. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's not too far-fetched. 
That's a theory. It's not proven. I'm just saying this is what I now think that he probably would do. Okay. I mean, Michael Moore did call him what a genius, right? Okay, I'm just saying. The loyalty was apparent from the moment Trump confirmed the search. Without knowing anything about the reason for the search, the right exploded with rage. Trump didn't have to rebut any allegations, excuse any embarrassing revelations, or even do anything more than express outrage at alleged mistreatment. The right still rallied to his side. Why release a document that might complicate the matter? At the same source, Tilde Hilliard, there is a complete circling of the wagons around Trump. He doesn't need to be transparent to preserve space, right? At the same time, it's like another loyalty test. OMG, this is like him being a Jim Jones, passing out the Kool-Aid. Like he wants, now he's got everybody, like he's wondering who's loyal to him, right? Who has wires, created all this paranoia. It's another little round of loyalty test him. He does this. I'm just saying. Quote leader profile is showing up with Donald J. Trump. I bet he wanted to do all this just to ensure the outcome of what he's getting. And in the meantime, throw another round of loyalties out there. <laughs> okay. He can say many things, but he is a character, I will say. I think he's going to do some prison time, though. He doesn't need to be transparent to preserve his base. I already talked about that. Sorry. At the same time, the refusal to release the warrant feeds frenzied speculation on the left. Why is he hiding? How bad is it? Yeah. Why is he hiding? He might be hiding to make it worse than it is. I don't know. That speculation, perversely enough, is good for Trump, right? Exactly. Right-wing media outlets pick the most improbable allegation and use them to reaffirm the Republican contention that the left is unhinged. Well, our far left is unhinged. I'm a Democrat, and we absolutely are. But so is the far right. And the wilder, the wilder they perceive the left to be, the more Trump supporters on the right see him as the only leader truly prepared to fight for the enemies of the republic. Make no mistake, recent examples of irresponsible speculation abound. The infamous Steele dossier, for example, led countless... Americans to believe that Trump was a fully compromised Russian asset. The truth that Trump campaign officials and allies and proper contacts with Russian officials and assets and lied about those contacts was bad, but never as lurid as the dossier claimed. The result was a right-wing public that was inoculated against even the worst revelations in the Mueller report. If they weren't as bad as the wildest allegations that imply that in their minds Trump had won. A similar dynamic may be unfolding now. Trump doesn't have to release the warrant to maintain his support. The GOP is standing by his side. In fact, it's locked arms so empathetically it might cause possible Republican presidential contenders to think twice before deciding to challenge Trump. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, look at the outcome. I mean, Michael Moore called Trump a mastermind or something like that. Some praise of his, like evil genius, I don't know, scheming, something like that. Yeah. I, w I wouldn't put it past him. At some point, Trump could still release the warrant. Even if the GOP doesn't waver, a bitter past experience dictates conduct that is unacceptable, but not quite as severe as Trump's loudest critics as speculated as seen by partisans as a complete exoneration. If the warrant rebutes the worst allegations, Trump wins. We're left with a grim bottom line. For Trump to be transparent is in the public interest, but that's not his primary concern. He might let us see the warrant, but it's not when it's good for the country. He'll let us see it when it's good for him, because good for him is the only standard that truly matters for the man and the cold he has made. 
well said. I mean, you got to admit, you know, so let's talk about that. What do you think it is that galvanizes uh, Trump's followers? You know, really think about what could it be? It can't just because he's rich. There's a lot of rich people. What is it about Trump that has such sway, such a cult-like following over these wild characters who are overly loyal, often to their own detriment, that will do outrageous things like January 6th to their own detriment, right? Well, he says he loves America. He says, America first. He says, make America great again. And he believes all those things. I don't think he's faking about all those things. I think he really loves America. I think he wants to America great, be, make America great again in his eyes of definition of great. And I think he wants America first. I think all of those things he truly believes resonates out to people. And when you think about that, any political candidate can say those things. Joe Biden can say those things. You know, Bush could have said those things. Everybody can say those things because you can't argue with that. Loving America is a galvanizing slogan. Make America Great Again is a galvanizing slogan of hope, right? And what's the other one? America First. Again, putting you know, the, the priorities on our country before others is hard to say. So it's not a very complicated platform, I think, that Trump really runs on. He doesn't run on complicated platforms. He appeals to the easiest but genuine and the feeling and the love of country, patriotism or, you know, such. And... If any other candidate used those same phrases, we need to put America ahead. Well, Bill Clinton did. Bill Clinton coined America first. I mean, if we forget, Michael Moore captured that in Fahrenheit 11.9. Make America great again, I think also it was a previous saying. I forget who, but he galvanized all that. And when he talks at these rallies or whatever on TV that I've seen, I've never gone to one in person. It's all about the love, right? It's about belonging. It's about America. It's about patriotism. It's about, he feeds all of the, the love bombing of country, of patriotism, which is not hard to do and makes people feel good. And when people feel good, then they stop really critically thinking, don't they? Because they're so wonderfully doped up with feeling good. So they don't care if he breaks the law, takes documents to Mar-a-Lago. You know, anything can be justified because, you know, he loves America. He wants America to be first. He wants America to be number one. So, you know, break laws, have, you know, Russian dif- R- Russians involved with data poll collecting. Um, you know, I don't know. What, what, I don't think he has too many ties with presidency. But I'm saying, you know, he can get away with a lot and has gotten away with a lot so far uh, because and has this galvanized base that seems to be immune from these atrocious actions he's done and overlooks it and says, oh, well, and excuses it because of this love bombing. So, I mean, I would just say, you know, 
too can play at that. And you know what, Democrats, if that means we have to love bomb back, we have to love bomb America, we have to America great, great as well. <laughs> we love America, we are going to help the vets. Um, let's make America even better. <laughs> Not great again, but even better. Um, and we are wearing the flag and we're loving that. Well, if we're speaking the same love bomb language, do you think some of those supporters might shift over to our side? If it's love bombing, which we haven't been doing because the Democrats love language is not words of affirmation. The Democrats love language is acts of service and progression. When Amer- when Democrats progress America for the majority, that is our love language. We go, see, we've done this. We've done this. We've done this. We've done this to progress our country. But we don't often say because we love it. We don't often say because we just love the we love this country. So it's kind of like a marriage when you don't say I love you to the person, but you do a lot of nice things. But you don't do words of affirmation. You just do acts of service. You're just a provider. But you don't do the I love you and you don't do those things. You know what I mean? It doesn't quite meet the mark for everybody. A lot of people respond to words of affirmation. And a lot of people respond to acts of service. Of course, there's always, you know, the military, there's acts of service as well. Um, it's not like one party only reflects love one way for this country. But I'm saying, you know, it would probably be smart for us Democrats to do more words of affirmation in love of this country. And the reason we love it is we progress it and we can progress it and we love that we can progress it. Not as fast as Bernie would like, but... Um, I think that's worth mentioning that possibly some of those followers may fall away if we're sending, if we're sending the same love bomb messages. Okay. A little piece of advice there. Yeah. Certainly say you love your country can't hurt. You know, you love your country and you want to make it better. That's a progressive agenda of a Democrat. You love your country, but you're not satisfied with it as it is. You want to improve it continually. Right? If the FBI can raid Donald Trump's mega mansion, golf resort, to look for classified documents, then the FBI can raid anyone's mega mansion, golf resort. By Michael Luciano. Yeah. And as they should. Some Republicans would be like, what? What do you mean? Well, think about it. Yeah. No one's above the law. I believe both Lindsey Graham and Nancy Pelosi said that. The U.S. of America, the United States of America was built on God-given rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Though it hardly needs to be said inherent in these fundamental rights, and the rights will be left alone in our palatial seaside estates, whose occupants may or may not have absconded from classified documents upon departing the White House. On Monday, 30 jackbooted FBI goons violate goons? Uh, servants, thanks, violated the basic tenet of a free society when they laid siege to former... They didn't violate anything. They had it. This is propaganda. They didn't violate anything. They followed a search warrant obtained legally through the judge to form... I'm just going to cut through the nonsense. 
to forum President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago mega mansion golf resort to search for such materials. After presenting a warrant signed by a judge, the agents reportedly took several boxes of documents. Yeah. As Trump, it's not Trump's property. As Trump himself reported, they even broke into his beautiful and very strong safe, which apparently was empty. And who believes that? Apparently it was not strong enough to withstand the FBI's coring saw, which may as well have been surrendered to the Republic itself. Okay, that's dramatic. You Republicans are so dramatic sometimes. Drama, drama. Um, what happened? Who gets a safe like that and doesn't put anything in it? That's like the biggest giveaway. What happened to Trump on Monday is the abomination should chill every American to the core. Well, it's not an abomination. It's not chilling everyone to the core. Um, it's, you know, national security if he has documents about Russia or China or enemies. I'm glad they raided. I would hope they would raid your house, my house, any, anyone's house if they had, you know, due cause or suspicion of classified documents that could endanger the country. If you love America, Republicans, and you want to keep it safe, that involves our FBI, that involves our CIA. No, not storming in with no warrant, but that you had a warrant. Okay. The raid wasn't merely a search of one man's splendid villa. Okay, enough about how splendid, like we get it. His family, some documents missing from the National Archives. It was a full-throated assault in the deeply rooted tradition that wealthy and powerful people remain free from the groping hands of armed wards of the state who seek to rummage through their belongings simply to obtain classified material. Yeah, right. Just because you're rich and powerful doesn't mean you're above the law. What a bizarre author. If FBI can raid Mar-a-Lago in search of official documents that don't belong there, then it can raid any sprawling. Yes. I shudder to think of the implications for all similarly situated former presidents who simply want to live their lives unmolested. Well, I don't think, you know, Obama took away 25 boxes, sir, to his house. I don't think, you know, Clinton has, you know, boxes of archives either. So, I mean, you're making it seem like all these presidents keep things in their homes. Um, this would just be one. That would be Trump. Unmolested. He wasn't even there. Is this the America we want? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because this is the America that's going to protect us from China and Russia. Thank you very much. Do you want the America where there's no accountability and people can just steal documents and keep them in their house and have big powwows with Russian diplomats in their Mar-a-Lago estate, buddy? And you say you love America and you say it's safe? No. America wouldn't be America. Investigating or dieting for it. Well, it's accountability. Sorry, the rich don't like it being accountable. <laughs> Investigating or indicting former sitting leaders is something done in hopeless third world countries. Hopeless third world countries such as France. Um, France is not a hopeless third world country. Thanks. You're an, who is this jerk? Who is this guy? Michael Luciano? Get a brain. From meditate, you should meditate. Hopeless third world countries such as France. France is doing quite well. Thank you. My friend is an expat. Um, you know, they provide quite a lot for their citizens. They also control a lot of them, but they provide a lot. Hardly third world. Thank you. Iceland, not third world. Actually, it's the leading feminist country in the world and has the most degree of freedom for women. I don't consider that third world. Israel, Israel's not third world. It's actually the most democratic and richest country in the area over there. Italy, Italy. 
Italy has some issues. I wouldn't consider it third world. Japan, I would definitely not consider third world. Portugal has some issues, sure. South Korea, I don't know if it's third world. Hmm. And so many other banana republics. We're, we're not a banana republic just because somebody had to be accountable for taking 25 boxes um, from of government records that were classified. We cannot stand for it. We must reject the notion FBI can raid someone's mega mansion to look for classified. No, we're not going to reject that. Yes, they could raid your mansion. And thank God they could because that's what's going to keep us safe from, you know, spies that infiltrate and manipulate leaders. So what a bonehead, Michael Luciano. Go back to college. Okay. All righty. Any more on that? I think we're done. No, wait. Yes, we're done with that. So President Biden did something helpful today that actually is in line with Trump. Um, both Trump was it was very and Biden are very good to the veterans. He, Trump, President Biden signs the PACT Law into law. You have to CC. Come on. Then I have to indicate they're on. Then I have to go back. Okay. Well, it's really bittersweet. Chances, you know, this is 13 years after Rosie and Leroy Torres started this fight. They feel relieved, and it finally made its way to the president's desk. But they know so many people are still so sick and many other veterans should have been at that signing today at the White House. And they're no longer with us because their illnesses, exposure, toxic burn pits. One of those veterans, Bo Biden, the son of President Biden, had died from cancer after his own exposure. It's a relief, but it's not a celebration. Certainly legislation... Expanding health care benefits for veterans as opposed to toxic chemicals now law, but President Joe Biden made official at the White House Wednesday, putting a signature on the PACT Act during the emotional ceremony. You see the little guy who's sitting right next to that. My grandson, his daddy, lost to the same burn fights, and he knows what you're going to go through. But guess what you're going to do to this? You're going to be really, really strong. So many of you here today remind us we have fought for this. So many years, veterans, surviving families, surviving family members. President Biden also thanked advocates like actor and comedian John Stewart, who received a standing ovation. I provide a little air cover on again, but they've gotten this done. And like their tenacious group in that group, Leroy and Rosie Torres, who have experienced the horrific effects of these burn pits. Firsthand, Leroy made a promise to the Sergeant Major in 2014. His last words were him, don't give up. President Biden, oh my God, just hold back and to finally acknowledge, okay, so our major mission complete. Mr. One of the lawmakers on Capitol Hill, long working to get this bill passed. By the way, if you're in a foxhole, you want somebody with you, want test you in that hole. The White House calls the PACT Act, the most significant expansion of VA health care in 30 years. The new legislation opens up access to VA services related burn pit exposure. Before Wednesday, veterans had five years to enroll in VA health care after discharge. Now it's 10 years. 
The PACT Act also removes the burden of proof for veterans who are diagnosed with one of the 23 specific conditions before they were required to prove their illness was connected to the time in service. The law also adds more screening measures and more training for the VA personnel, but it wasn't an easy road to the president's desk. The PACT Act faced uncertainty in the Senate when some GOP lawmakers voted against ending debate on the bill, voting in favor of it weeks earlier, second time's the charm, though. The PACT Act ultimately made it through the Senate on the second try. Last week, protesters, including Rosie Torres, mobilized and stake out in front of the Capitol in honor of those who have already served goodbye to them. As for them, I mean, she said, sorry, it's hard to read it. We've seen a lot of funerals, been part of a lot of conversations. And that's why we never gave up like they were. What fueled our energy and momentum now, advocates say, or the hard work continues. It's going to be growing pains, right? And Bill's going to mature over the next several months and several years and all of VSOs now have to put people on guard duty and watch this bill. Get run in. Good luck because I've been doing it for the last 20 years from 9-11. The struggles aren't over. They still have cancer. They still have respiratory disease. They still have issues. To come home and to have the battle of the very government you went overseas to fight and protect and defend is such an outrage and such a travesty for the country that purports to elevate service above all. Hear that, Republicans? It's you, mostly. And Rosie and Leroy Torres says they're not done fighting. Up next. They want to get a screening and prevention process in place. Like the World Trade Center Health Program. And Chance, when I talked to John Stewart today, he posed a question saying that you can armor up a Humvee, but you don't protect your troops from this these toxic burn pits. And what are you really doing? And President Biden implored veterans to go file claims right away. The minute he signed the bill, that became active. You can go to va.gov slash pact. That's great. So, I mean, this is a pattern where, you know, I can say Trump, because we just talked about Trump, Trump's big um, contribution to the presidential role was that he was one of the first Republican presidents that really did a lot for the veterans, that really put himself out there for the veterans. I don't have the specifics, but I remember that he was very pro-vet, not just in words, but in language. I think it was what... I don't know if it was job training or if it was like some paid time or something else where he was improving the quality of life of veterans, as we know. And I remember because it's such a deviation from typical Republican playbook, you know, tactics. They're fine with the parades and they're fine saying, remember the troops and they're fine giving the funding for the military, which yes, does feed their families and everything. Sure. But when a soldier gets injured, when they are a veteran, when they are no longer so so said, you know, of use, then they're discarded and thrown out like the trash. And, you know, I think it's crappy. And the Democrats typically run to the rescue and provide and help services. But Trump also did do that. He did help. So I would say, you know, no, you know, we're not around in San Francisco worrying about if Trump's going to run for 2024. This is I don't know who's concocting this, but no one that I've ever heard of talked to is has any concern whatsoever about Trump running for 2024 or much less winning 2024. It's not a democratic fear. So if Republicans are imagining it is, I'm telling you it's not. We're not afraid of that. 
we don't consider it plausible or possible, really. Even though it's like technically possible, we don't consider it probable, probable, not probable. So, you know, um, I, I think Donald Trump needs a focus in addition to all the lawsuits and everything he's going through. That's positive. And I would say, you know, he can champion the veterans, just champion the veterans. You know, that was one of the good things he did in the presidency that is uh, bipartisan. And I would just say he could keep doing that and be of help to the Republican Party because there's just not a long line of Republicans that are, you know, really voting on bills that are pro-vet. I mean, you took the Senate twice. They didn't get it around the first time, you noticed, and because they got bullied finally into doing it. But you know what I'm saying? You have to bully them into doing it. So they're pro-military funding. They're pro-military people. They're pro-military spending. But they're not pro-military once the soldier's done. And that's pretty crappy. It's un-American. And it doesn't go with America first. And it doesn't go with MAGA. And it doesn't go with loving your country. It's actually crappy. And it's usually us Dems who come because we care. Because we're bleeding hearts. And help. And raise money. And try. But I would say, you know, it would be nice also if the Republicans would do it. And I just don't know of anyone else other than Trump that's really in the spotlight that has that record. Right. So if, if Trump can be rehabilitated to, you know, focus on that, that would be of use. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past Trump that he, he tipped off his own raid. I think 100% that probably is the reason. But we'll see. Well, everything's unfolding day by day. Okay. Um, and it's a theory. It's, I don't have any proof of that. Okay. Um, desalination plant construction underway in Antioch. As the drought, so just so you know, uh, we've had desalination technology around for about 30 years. Um, it hasn't been employed, which is basically taking ocean water and taking out the salt. We got plenty of ocean water, it's not that hard to take out the salt. We've had this technology for 30 years at least. Australia's been doing it for 30 years. It's been in existence on the globe for 30 years. I don't know if U.S. specifically. Um, and it's been continually ignored because it's more costly to transition to this. Um, and it's been hard to justify because the rains have been kind of erratic. But now we see us going into long-term drought patterns. They're talking about diverting the Mississippi River. They're talking about diver diverting the Colorado River and diverting all these rivers. So the argument comes back, what about the desalination technology we've had on the shelf for three decades? Can we dust it off the shelf? There's so many things on that shelf. <laughs> All the answers to climate change is on that shelf. But you know who controls the keys to that closet of that shelf? Toxic industry. Yep. The big money people. Yep. So it has to get just so awful, so bad for so long to justify taking the key out, opening the door, going to the closet, and picking out the answer that's been there sitting there the whole time. I mean, I am not kidding. I have studied environmental science for... 30 years-ish. Yeah, on and off. I've taken some actual classes in it. 
Um, it's never a lack of invention. It's never a lack of scientific innovation. It's always toxic industry oppression for the dollar. Until things get so bad that we're breaking out the desalination plant. Okay. John Ramos. So you should feel encouraged and discouraged at the same time. We have all the answers, but we don't control the distribution of the, of the answers. <laughs> Frustrating. Antioch, the city of Antioch, sits right next to the largest source of fresh water in Northern California, but it's facing a water supply crisis because of the change to the Delta, both natural and man-made. It's getting saltier. We were able to use our river intake for 30, year, 30 days this year only. Now, last year, we weren't able to use our intake for a single day because of salinity levels, but there's no water runoff from Sierras to push back the salinity out into the Delta. Over the decades, more and more water has been siphoned out of the Delta to supply Southern California cities and Central Valley farmers. Now with even more reduced flows, drought, seawater from Bay is pushing up a system, making Antioch's historic water supply too salty to use. Until we get enough rain uh, upstream in the watershed and start filling your reservoirs and start to add more fresh water and you're going to have issues like that. Jacob McQuirk, engineer of California Department of Water Resources. Let's get to the nitty gritty about the desalination. Um, okay. So they're doing what a lot of other cities have only pondered. They're building the first surface water desalination plant in the Bay Area. New facility located at the city's wastewater treatment plant will use large reverse osmosis filters to create 6 million gallons of fresh water per day, about a third of the city's needs, but with room for expansion. We're actually only building about half this facility, Samuelson said. So the building is large enough for us to double the size of the future. Because they're dealing with brackish water, which is low salt content rather than regular bay water, they can clarify, clarify it using less energy and create a self-creating less salt-concentrated wastewater. It's an advantage many bear the cities don't have, so they're closely watching Antioch, what, is, what they're doing. Yeah, we've received a lot of interest from other water agencies on the project. Samuelson said, I've had several reach-outs to me. I do anticipate that you're going to see more of these facilities coming up here in the bay and across the state. All told, desalination plant will cost $110 million, with about $82 million of that coming from state grants and loans. Samuelson said supply chain problems have delayed the project, and he predicts it will operation sometime at the end of the beginning of 2024. Yeah. So, you know, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. No, nope, we got lots to drink. We just have to take the salt out. Does that calm us down? <laughs> By the way, the, everybody's known that in the proper circles forever. It's never not having, it's just cheaper, easier grab until things become so bad that we go for what the real solution should have been all along. Isn't that great? It's not great. We need to do the opposite of that. I could go through more of the environmental stuff. Aye, aye, aye. Let's do a couple one. I'm going to save all these because they're such good golden nuggets of environmental progress that I want to let you know about all the inventions. So I'm going to not rush that one. We'll go through some randos. Oh, good old China. What are they up to now? Every day. Every day. Bazinga. Anzua Lahari. China's newest threat to Western civilization could be in your home right now. U.S. and U.K. banned Huawei, 
technology company limited from its 5G telecom network, citing the national security threats from China. The UK also cracked down on surveillance equipment from Hangzhou Hikvision Digital Tech Company Limited and Zhejiang Deha Technology Company Limited, which Washington's already blacklisted. Recently, the U.S. explored restrictions on shipments of chip-making tools to China's leading chipmaker, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp. However, these countries seem to have overlooked tiny components made by Chinese companies and devices connected to the Internet of Things, the Financial Times report. China wants to come into the threshold of danger, but not cross it. IoT produced products, sorry, IoT products fitted with data transmitting sensors and connected over Wi-Fi networks have evolved in niche industrial applications to being omnipresent in homes, offices, some vehicles, becoming a critical component of national infrastructure. However, China could reportedly exploit the same data from IoT devices to influence, pressure, or threaten an adversary, company, or individual. Remember, they act like the big mafia. Do you see why we want to divest from China? Yeah, we want to divest from the big mafia. Thank you. Three Chinese manufacturers hold over 50% of the global market share of cellular IoT models. Between them, Quit Quell Tech, Fibrocom, and China Mobile provides mo modules to se several Chinese companies, including Huawei, Hikvision, and DGI, linking, linked to the repression of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. However, three companies have disputed these, these ties. However, the three companies have disputed these ties. The products of these three companies are under scrutiny in the U.S., U.K., Europe. However, Western products, including Tesla, Intel Corp, Dell Technologies, and Parrot Saw, use the same underlying cellular IoT modules. Recently, CISA, the U.S. Cybersecurity Agency, warned of critical vulnerabilities in Chinese-made GPS-enabled IoT devices in cars and motorcycles. Again, they want to do, in my opinion, they want to do remote warfare. If they can do World War III, infiltrate, be stealthy, be kind of schizo with how they present politically to our country in these, in these um, threats and pullbacks and threats and pullbacks, and continually by land, continually affect our, you know, in, in America that is, continually get proximal to our military bases, and infiltrate our phones via TikTok because it's oh so cool with the Gen Zs. Come on, Gen Zs. Something else. Somebody else make something else in America, not China. And they can get into all the electronics. I mean, that's a huge advantage for Beijing to be able to conduct World War III remotely in addition to, you know, boots on the ground type people, you know aspects. So I'm just saying we have to start taking this seriously now. Like, and it's long overdue. Tom Cotton is right about China only. Nothing else he says is right. If he sticks on that one topic, Tom, you're good on that. And then you just go off the rails the rest. Um, we have to take it seriously. We have to stand up against it. We have to be aware we're not hopeless. We're not helpless. Guess what? There's a whole other labor supply force waiting in India not that far from China, that we can all as a globe mobilize to help to be the new, what, global manufacturing, in addition to, you know, bringing manufacturing back to America and our allies. Because at least India allows religion, right? Which is a fundamental human need 
to have a spiritual center, have a spiritual something, whether it's, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism. I can't believe I forgot that before. Hinduism, of course. Um, Catholicism is in India, many other religions. You know, at least there's a spiritual tolerance that definitely is not there in Beijing and not there in China. They don't want anything spiritual there. And that isn't helpful because it's a human need for that. And, you know, also I just think any kind of um, kerfuffles that would come up with the Indian labor force, we could work with far better than Beijing any day of the week. So I just say we shift it over. And the only way to do that is divest, 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 divest. All countries divest, divest, shifted to India to get the supply chains going. And as a, as a global effort, not just one country, but as, you know, a global effort to shift it to India and then also what? Strengthen ties and made in America, made in our allied countries and such. And just keep China completely bankrupt from us until they fold. And if need be a war, which probably is, And then, you know, Hong Kong or Taiwan will take them over. And then we can help them, you know, with the ethics. I don't know that we would need to help Taiwan because they're pretty ethical. But, you know, any kind of things that would need to be modified for ethics and such, I mean, they're far more receptive in Taiwan and Hong Kong than they are in the rest. So it's not far-fetched or paranoid to understand how the Chinese Communist Party thinks And how to outsmart them by not giving them an open door to your life, right? And not being terrorized by it. You know what? Don't be terrorized of Darth Vader. You know, just be aware and don't go to China for looking at the Great Wall. Believe me, my friend never came back alive. My classmate, I mean, we didn't hang out really that much, but he never came back alive. He was 16. And he went to look at the Great Wall and see the sights. Don't do it. You don't know at any given point if, you know, the communists are going to capture you, torture you, make up lies pretending you're an American spy, and make you to the point where you want to kill yourself so they didn't technically kill you, but you're dead anyway because it's so awful. That's what he experienced, according to what we were all told in class when, you know, we wondered where is he? Is he coming back? You know? It was the teacher's stepson, of all people, of all people. It was super interesting. Of all people, the teacher's stepson. So he had to say, because people are going to go, where, where is he? Where is he? You know, you're, you're the stepfather. Where is he? So it was a whole debrief to our class about the Chinese Communist Party. Don't do it. That doesn't mean people that have gone and come back, you know, haven't had problems, but it's just not a good idea because they do these kinds of things. Um, unconsciously and feel justified and if anything then deny, 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 deny so we have to take it seriously we the Democratic Party have to take it seriously I feel that the Republicans take it seriously but we the Democratic Party have to take it seriously because you know we need a country to progress we can't have it in the hands of a, of a country like Chinese Communist Party who then later wants to annex us just as they want to annex Taiwan. You know, 
because they, what, have so much land ownership or have so much influence. Not that that's probable, but, you know, that's what they're hoping for. That's what these tactics are about. And the leveraging and the mafia-type threats and the cult-like Jim Jones way that they propagandize with, you know, over and over and over with their people. Like, you know, Democrats, we have to stand up against that, too. This is, uh, you know, united against a common enemy here. What helps unite America? United against a common enemy. And that would be the Chinese Communist Party. 100%. Um, I'm going to read every and all articles and all things China and all things Chinese Communist Party on here so you'll be informed. So at least you can start taking it a little more seriously because sometimes the dumb news outlets just don't cover things like this enough, I feel like. Okay. Thanks, everybody.